0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Uh, Today, we are going to kick off a new series that corresponds with this Advent season, a season where, as Christians, uh, we take time to celebrate the first coming of Jesus, his birth in the world, where he would come to rescue sinners like you and me. And then we also take time to anticipate and, and wait on his second coming, where one day he will return as a king, and he will make all sad things come untrue, and he will put the world to right. I love what Shane Claiborne says about Advent. He says, Advent, which literally means the coming, is a time when we wait expectantly. Like Mary, we celebrate the coming of the Christ child, what God has already done. And we wait in expectation of the full coming of God's reign on earth and for return of Christ, what God will yet to do. But this waiting is not a passive waiting, it is an active waiting. As any expectant mother knows, this waiting involves preparation, exercise, nutrition, care, prayer, work. And birth involves pain, blood, tears, joy, release, community. It's called labor for a reason. Likewise, we are in a world pregnant with hope, and we live in the expectation of the coming of God's kingdom on earth. As we wait, we also work, cry, pray, ache. We are the midwives of another world. Well said, Shane Claiborne. So in light of all of this, our hope over the next four weeks in this Advent season is that more than ever as a church, we will learn how to live with a holy longing. That rather than getting caught up in all the Christmas madness that that as Americans we often get pulled into, that we will learn how to slow down and to recenter our lives around Jesus and his promises and so today we're going to actually look as we dive into this new series in Luke chapter 1 but while you're there I actually want to read to you from Genesis chapter 12 so you can actually stay in Luke I'll put Genesis 12 on the screen for you and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 to give us a context for the passage we're going to look at in Luke chapter 1 so Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 through 3 I'll read it I'll pray for us and then we'll dive uh, into the message It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, who would later have his name changed to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we come to you now because it is a great privilege to come to you, and because ultimately we have nowhere else to go but to you. You are where our hope is, and you are all that we ultimately have. And so we pray that as we come right now and as we dive into this story, which can become almost old news this time of year, would you please make it explosively alive in our hearts? in a way that it's not just true news, but that it's good news that shapes and forms our entire lives for our good, for the good of this world, and for your glory. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, we live in a culture that does not like to wait. Um, Because waiting often seems so ineffective and unproductive, because it often leaves us with this feeling that we are going to miss out on something we will often go through extremes to remove waiting from our lives. I was reading uh, about this uh, past week about a woman from Madison, Wisconsin, who was arrested on Black Friday for cutting in line at a Toys R Us and threatening to shoot anyone who objected. Um, can you imagine this scene for a moment? I mean, imagine you're standing in line at Toys R Us for four hours. Waiting to get a toy for your kid, and all of a sudden, here comes a woman who shows up and says, Okay, listen up, everyone. I'm gonna buy some Hatchimals and some Shopkins, and if anybody tries to get in my way, I'm gonna put a cap in you. Right? Like, this is a true story. This really happened here in America. Like, we are people who don't like to wait. I was recently at the Walmart neighborhood market. And to my uh, a great despair, I turned around the corner with just my one item to check out. But I noticed that every checkout line had a long line filled with people who had lots of items in their carts. And I don't know about you, but, but but this is something I think all of us do without even realizing it. But when we go to the grocery store, oftentimes we will look at the lines, we'll kind of survey them. And then what happens is we will, without even noticing it, go into this very complex algorithm where we will begin to look at the number of people in line, we'll times it by the number of products they have in their cart, and then we'll do this quick assessment of the competency of the checkout operator to see how fast they are able to check people out. Am I right? And within a split second, without even thinking about it, we will choose which line to get into based off of that formula. And if you're really sick like me, not only will you make one decision, you'll make two decisions because not only will you make a decision about which line you need to get into, you'll also make a decision about which line you would have gotten into if you didn't hop into the line that you're currently in. And then what you'll do is you'll monitor those lines, will you not? And you'll see like, what would have happened if I would have chose that line? And of course, like if you finish uh, a first in your line as opposed to the line that you didn't choose, you're like, boom, yes. Like, right, you feel like you're winning the day. But, on the other hand, if you finish behind where you would have been, you're like, oh, I just wasted 15 seconds of my life, right? And you just have all this agony. I mean, we are people who live in an instant gratification culture built on speed. And therefore, we are a culture that doesn't like to wait. How many of you remember waiting for Christmas morning as a kid? I mean, you remember the agony of waiting for that? I think I heard some people groan just like, oh, right? And it seems like, I mean, Christmas was never going to come. In fact, like, the days before Christmas, the closer that Christmas got to be in here, it's like the longer it took for those days to get through. And some of you, like, you might, if you want to confess this morning, might have even, like, opened up presents before and then, like, looked at them, like, you know, try to package them back up. I know I did that, right? Like, we hate to wait. And the reason I share all that is, listen, as we think about this dynamic of waiting, which we hate as Americans. This is the same dynamic of waiting that we find a small remnant of Jewish people in as they're eagerly awaiting and anticipating the very first Christmas. This is the same dynamic of waiting we find in Luke uh, Luke chapter 1 as these people are eagerly awaiting, not for Santa, but for a Savior. As they're eagerly awaiting, not for presence, but for this promise from Genesis 12 to finally be fulfilled. And you don't have to turn to Genesis 12. I read it earlier. But basically, what was the promise that God gave to his people in Genesis 12? Well, basically, he comes to Abraham and he said three things. He says, look, Abraham, I know the world has gone mad. I know it seems like things are falling apart, but I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make it right. And Abraham, here's how I'm going to do it. You ready? Genesis 3 or Genesis 12, three promises. He says, one Right through you i'm going to multiply your descendants and i'm going to bring about a great nation Which will later be known as the nation of israel Two i'm going to move you into a land where you can experience some peace and some prosperity Okay, and then three what i'm going to do is through your nation I'm going to bless you in such a way that you will become a blessing and a light to all of the other nations And you see this is where we have a breakdown because if you read the Old Testament, what you see is because of Israel's sin, because of their disobedience, eventually Israel's kingdom was split in half. They'd be left with no power. They'd be left with no prosperity. They'd be best, uh, left basically with no army. And by the time we come to Luke 1, even after thousands of years uh, from God promising this in Genesis 12, what we find is Israel still is not a light to the nations. In fact, they're a laughingstock. To the nations. So much so that history tells us that in 60 BC, 60 years before Christ was born into this world, Pompey the Great, the great Roman general, would move his army into Jerusalem. And after slaughtering 12,000 Jews, with only losing two of his men in the process, he would then do the unthinkable. History tells us that he would go right into the temple. He would go right into this place called the Holy of Holies, the most sacred place in the temple, the place where the Jews believed that God's presence would dwell, the place where only priests could go without being obliterated by the holiness of God. And Pompey the Great walks right into the Holy of Holies. He looks around. Nothing happens. He then walks out of the temple, and a rumor begins to spread during this time that, hey, the God of Israel The God who made this promise to you thousands of years ago, he's dead. Or he's either so weak he's unable to help you at all. And so as a result, we come to Luke 1. Because of God's silence, because so many of these Jews are watching as their pagan enemies trample over them, because they've been waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing has happened, many of them have begun to turn away from God. Maybe for some of you this morning, you're right there. Maybe for some of you this morning, because God appears to be so inactive and so silent in your life, you're starting to wonder as you sit here, why am I doing this? Like, like why am I getting up early on a Sunday morning and showing up here? Like, why am I serving? Why am I still giving Why am I obeying? Why am I not moving in? Why am I not moving out? Why am I not taking that money? Maybe for some of you uh, this morning, you're even starting to wonder, like, is God even real? As you look around at your life and the chaos in this world, you're starting to wonder, like, is God real? Or am I just, like, doing this because my parents did it? Or am I just doing this because some preacher told me years ago that if I don't do this, and I'm going to go to hell someday. And I'm not even sure hell is real. But, but for some of you, maybe if you can be honest, you're asking this question, like what is the point of all of this? And if that's where you are this morning, I want to say first off, welcome. So glad that you're here. Fellowship is a place where you can belong before you believe. It's a safe place for your fears and your doubts and your questions And secondly, what I want to say is you picked a good morning to come. Because as we enter into the Advent season, what you're going to discover is the Christmas story is for you. And here's what I mean by that. Luke chapter 1, hopefully you're there, starting in verse 5, we begin to dive into our story for today. And it says in verse 5, In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, let me stop there, and I'm going to do this quite often. I'll read some verses, we'll stop and talk. In verse 5, what you need to realize, the point of verse 5 is just to let you know that this married couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're both from a priestly line. So they both grew up preacher's kids, okay? So there's a good possibility, think about this, that while Pompey the Great was walking into the temple to desecrate the temple and taught the Jews, there's a good possibility he walked right past Elizabeth and Zechariah's dad. So this is a couple who grew up in a home where they would have saw their parents mourn over what was happening in Israel. They would have grown up and they would have saw parents who, who watched as they felt like the promises of God were slipping further and further away from them. So this is a couple that grew up in an incredibly dark time in Israel's history where people were dropping off like flies. So verse 6 it says that these two, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were both righteous before God and they were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. Now this is uh, incredible because what, what you see here in verse 6 is God looks at this couple and he says, they're doing it right. All these other the people who are walking away, but these are people who are still obeying my commands. And that's a lot of commands, by the way, in the Jewish world. And not only are they obeying them, it says they are blamelessly obeying them. So despite the fact that all these other people, all their friends, all their family are walking away from God, they are still walking blamelessly with God. And what's even crazier to think about is their obedience to God is all based off of a promise that was made thousands of years ago. Pretty crazy to think about. So while others are saying to them, you know what, forget God. While others are saying you can't trust God. While others are saying God is not faithful to his promises and and you might as well throw in the towel and stop worshiping him and wasting your time and your talents and all your treasures on him, Zachariah and Elizabeth are still getting up every morning like Christmas is coming. They're still waking up every day with this desire to be obedient to God because they believe that God loves them and that he will fulfill his promise even when there's no evidence that he is going to do so. And so because of this, what we should do then is we should peer into Zechariah and Elizabeth's life and say, okay, so they're blameless, they're righteous, they're doing the right thing even when no one is looking. So how is being faithful working out for them? Verse seven, but they had no child. Oh. So let me get this straight. You guys are getting up every morning and you're going to the temple and God hasn't given you a child yet? You're praying every day. You're still being faithful to God even in the small things. You're you're still praying to this God and trusting in this God who's left you without a child? Hmm. By the way, women... In this culture, it was always the woman's fault for not being able to have a child, always. Um, in our culture, you know, it's important for women to have children, and we know that and we feel that. But it was even more so, way more important for women to have children in this culture because I'm not trying to be a derogatory here, but literally, that's all women were good for in the first century. I'm not trying to be mean, like literally, like you can't work outside of the home, like that's no way. Like there's nothing, like your main purpose in life as a woman is you were put on this earth by God to give your husband children so he can have heirs. And if you can't do that, literally in this culture, they would have said, clearly you must be cursed by God. Can you imagine that? I mean, here's a woman that's been living for God her whole life, pursuing God, trusting god but despite the fact elizabeth is being faithful to god she's not being given a child from god and as we keep reading it seems like the window of opportunity is shutting doesn't it because in verse 7 it says she had no child because she was barren and both were advanced in years in other words things weren't really working the way they should be for Zachariah and elizabeth anymore they were humanly speaking speaking unable to have children And so here's Elizabeth, and you just got to feel this today, women, I mean, and men, like she's old. She's living with all this pain and this shame. People are telling her, you better turn away from God. What's God done for you lately? And yet here she is, and here Zachariah is, hanging on to the promise of God made thousands of years earlier. Maybe for some of you, because you're suffering today, because of unanswered prayers, because of something you've been waiting for that you're not getting, you're starting to wonder, is God really there? And if he is, does he really care? And as we'll see as we keep reading, the answer to that question is a resounding yes. Verse 8. Now while he, Zechariah, was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty... According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. So basically what you have essentially is there's 23 groups of priests. And what they do is they cast lots to see who'd be chosen to go into the temple and to offer this incense, which may not seem like a big deal to you, but it's like the opportunity of a lifetime for a priest. This is a huge deal to them. And so Zechariah is chosen and he goes right outside the Holy of Holies to burn incense, to offer to God. And then check this out, verse 10. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside the hour of incense, and there appeared to Zechariah an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. A lot of times when we think of angels, we think of those like uh, precious moments figurines. I don't know if your parents had those. My dad growing up was a big deal back in the 90s, along with lots of other great things in Christian culture. And so, like, you know, when we think of, of angels, we think of like cute chubby babies sitting on fluffy clouds with these wings and just playing harps. But the truth is, according to scriptures, angels are terrifying. They're terrifying. That's why we see right here that literally that, that Zachariah is paralyzed in fear. And think about this. He's a good man. So imagine what would happen if an angel appeared before you and I. He's walking blamelessly before the Lord. He is still, I mean, absolutely terrified of what's going on. And so, keep reading. See what happens next. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. That's like the common greeting of an angel, by the way. Like, hey, calm down. Not going to kill you. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Look at this. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. As we've been talking about over the last several weeks, God's delays are not always God's denials. So when it comes to prayer, I just want to encourage you again. We've been talking about it a lot over the last several weeks. Keep trusting, keep praying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. God hears your prayers, and he will always give the right gifts at the right time. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear for you a son, and you shall call his name John. Anybody know John's last name, by the way? The Baptist, that's right. (laughs) Sorry, cheesy pastor humor. Verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go before him in spirit. And by him, he's speaking of Jesus. He will go before him in spirit in the power of Elijah, and he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. In other words, God's not just going to bless you with a son. He's going to bless you with a son who is going to help prepare people for the coming of the one who's going to fulfill this long-awaited promise verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Notice how politically correct Zechariah is, by the way. I'm old. My wife, she, she's advanced in years, right? And the angel answered and said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, now you're going to be silent and able to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words. And this is my favorite part, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Or I love how the NIV says it. I think it's actually a better translation, which will come to true, or which will come true at, let's say this last part together, which will come true at their appointed time. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean that all of this time when it seemed like hope was gone, that God had this day marked on a calendar? You mean that whenever Israel was in their darkest moments and whenever everything seemed like it was spinning out of control, that God was still in control? You mean the whole time while people were walking away from God and while it seemed that God was inactive and insensitive, that he was actually working all things together towards this set moment in history to fulfill this promise at this appointed time? Yep. Yep. Meanwhile, while this conversation is going on, it says in verse 21, the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. Like, this shouldn't take that long, right? It's like, what's taking him so long? Verse 22, and when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remaining mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And look at this, verse 24. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. That's an incredible story. And what's awesome to me is that this is just the warm-up act. This is just the pre-concert before the concert. It's, It's the conversation before the big conversation. It's just the evidence that God was gearing up to do what he'd been planning to do all along, the evidence that he was gearing up to do the thing that these faithful Jews had been waiting for and hoping for for hundreds of years, which was this reality that God was about to put into action what he had planned to do since he promised back in Abraham, which is through his line, he is going to now bless the nations. And how does he do this? You read it with me, verse 26 through 33, and we'll end here. In the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And then verse 30, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, look at this, you will now conceive in your womb, and you'll bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, and he'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him a throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. This story really is our story. This dilemma that the Jews are facing really is the dilemma we're facing today. And here's the dilemma. Here's the question for all of us. When I look around at what seems to be so dark and chaotic and broken, do I want to continue to follow Jesus or not? Do I want to stay or do I want to go? Do I really want to believe this or do I want to stop believing do I want to serve or do I want to sit? Do I want to give or do I want to consume? Because honestly, I believe this is all there is. And if I'm going to be happy, I've got to consume what everybody else is consuming around me and spend my money the way the world's spending money. Do I want to pray or do I want to stop praying? Do I want to remain faithful or do I want to say, you know what, I'm tired of this. I'm living for me. What have you done for me lately, God? For now, I'm going to do my own thing. And if this is again where you are, the Christmas story is for you because what the Christmas story reminds us is that no matter how big or ridiculous or too good to be true God's promises may seem to be, God will always keep them. And therefore what this means for us today is, listen guys, I know life is hard, but if you will stay the course, if you will choose to trust in God over yourself, if you will walk by faith rather than sight when everybody else in the world is walking away from him. Life may not always make sense. It may not always be easy. But in the end, what this Christmas story reminds us is that your hope and your faith will not be in vain. Our God is a God who keeps his promises. Even when it seems like they are impossible for him to keep.